0: Hello and welcome to SoundingTheLight.com, the place where you can connect to real artists, real stories, real talk. Today we'll be hearing from singer-songwriter and internationally known recording artist Audrey Asad about her latest release, Inheritance. My name is Tara Tucker. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had the pleasure of speaking with Audrey a few days ago, and uh, what a lovely conversation. I so appreciated her depth and honesty as uh, she shared not only about her music, but also about some of the inner struggles that she's dealt with and uh, some deep spiritual truths that she has learned over the years that uh, has helped to shape her music style. Uh, She is the daughter of a Syrian refugee who came here in the 70s, and towards the end of the conversation, we were able to talk a little bit about how current world events, um, particularly the persecution of Christians that's been happening in the uh, Middle East, affected her as she was uh, writing and producing her latest album, which is uh, called Inheritance. And I was so impressed by her perspective and her sober-minded approach to that situation and to her own life. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this whole interview. Uh, the first song that we will be hearing is uh, from Inheritance, and it's called Ubi Karitas. This is just a gorgeous song peace. And uh, the words are in Latin, but I am about to read you the uh, translation. So as she is uh, singing, you can understand what it is that she's singing about. After we uh, listen to the song, we'll go straight into the interview. And uh, so here is the translation for Ubi Caritas. Where charity and love are, God is there. Christ's love has gathered us into one. Let us rejoice and be pleased in Him. Let us fear and let us love the living God. And may we love each other with a sincere heart. Where charity and love are, God is there. As we are gathered into one body, beware, lest we be divided in mind. Let evil impulses stop, let controversy cease, and may Christ our God be in our midst. Where charity and love are, God is there. And may we with the saints also see thy face in glory, O Christ our God, the joy that is immense and good unto the ages through infinite ages. Amen. So again, that song we just heard was Ubi Caritas by Audrey Asad, and I have Audrey on the line with us today. Audrey, welcome to the uh, Sounding the Light podcast. I am very excited to have you on as a guest today. How are you? I'm really well, Tara. Thanks for having me. Since we just heard your song, Ubi Caritas, it's off of your uh, Inheritance album. Can we talk about this one a little bit? It's such a beautiful song. Thank you so much. Yeah, love to. Um
1: it's a, it's a Latin chant from the fourth century that is typically used in the, um, Easter vigil. Or sorry, thir- Holy Thursday when they do the washing of the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like taking older songs and writing new tunes. It's kind of something I've done on every record for a few records. And, um, this one for me was like a mission statement for the record. Um, charity and love and unity and kind of, really thinking about the church as a whole um, with all of these hymns that we chose. And some of them are Catholic, and some of them come from a more Protestant background. And so for me, that was a great place to start the record.
0: It's beautiful, and I do love the message uh, that it begins the record with. And uh, this record is beautiful, um, but I also like the fact that it's got— this sort of uh, driving intensity under some of the songs, you know, where your voice is very, very sweet and smooth above it. But there's this uh, almost unrest uh, that is going on underneath them. And uh, I, w- I would love to kind of jump in and, and talk about the album a little bit. Sure. What made you choose the songs that you did and, and uh, the style that you built these songs with?
1: Well, so I chose the hymns that we that I chose um, partially Just as a sort of an homage to my upbringing, which was a Protestant upbringing in a a denomination where um, we sang out of a hymnal exclusively, uh, mostly Anglican and Methodist hymns and hymn tunes, but there were also some that were particular to my little denomination, which was called Plymouth Brethren, and Mm -hmm. we um, sang in four-part harmony, no instruments, it was Mm -hmm. very musical. Um, in terms of singing. And so that's really where I learned to sing. And, and, you know, in the Catholic Church, there is a phrase in Latin that says, uh, lex orandi, lex credendi, which means basically as we pray or praise, you know, mm-hmm. therefore there, so we believe. So it's sort of our prayer shapes our faith. Um, in maybe equal measure that our faith shapes our prayer, and so there's this kind of symbiotic relationship between prayer and faith, and and songs and faith. And so, I really wanted to make a record that, um, that, that that tried to do justice to some of those amazing songs that I grew up singing, that really shaped what I think about God and humanity. And so, um, that was kind of the, the purpose that the decision, you know, to make a, a hymns record was really informed by that desire. Mm-hmm. And, um, musically speaking, I found it quite the challenge mostly because those songs are so, um, a lot of them are so grandiose and musical and kind of, uh, they have a lot of range and yeah. they go up and down and very sort of, um, dynamic. And I didn't want to either, um, create melodrama in any way by being too theatrical with the arrangements or you know I didn't I didn't want to change them too much either mm-hmm. and add new choruses or you know rewrite a lot of melodies or anything and so I thought okay I think I'm going to approach this more from a, almost like a cinematic standpoint and say like how can I might make these tracks underneath these songs which are already composed um Really kind of get into the spirit of them, maybe taking you spin on them emotionally. And so you hear, you know, in certain areas, these words like in, um, I wonder as I wander. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. which is the fourth track. It's very kind of gritty and, and, uh, unsettled. And mm-hmm. I think I always heard that song done maybe more kind of, um, more pretty or, you know, more just kind of less gritty. And so, uh, more pretty, less gritty. And so I... (laughs) you're um, a poet. (laughs) I know. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) I I decided, okay, I really want to imagine wandering out on the plains, under the stars, like, wondering about God, because that is something that I, I think all of us can probably relate to. And for me, my faith journey is so riddled with doubt and mm. question and skepticism that I felt like I wanted to reflect that in the music. And so doing that is, um, it's new for me. I mean, in terms of really thinking um, in those terms on that level, like really, I didn't write the song. So I had to pour myself into the actual creation of the tracks to make it feel like the art that I know that I wanted
0: to make. I love it. It's uh, unexpected and it does. It makes you really think. Um, about what the words are that you're saying. I'm glad that's awesome. Thank you. So, where are you originally from?
1: I'm from New Jersey, and I'm actually sitting on a bench outside of Target in New Jersey right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, that's where I'm. I'm at my in my hometown right now, visiting family. Oh, that's awesome. Do you get back there to visit very mm-hmm. often? I try to like once or twice a year. Yeah, uh-huh. it's hard to every year, but I,
0: I definitely my brother lives here, and so. So you grew up in New Jersey. Were you there for several years?
1: Yeah, I, I left New Jersey when I was 18. Um, my family moved to West Palm Beach, Florida then, 2001. And I was there for six years, and then I moved to Nashville in 2008.
0: Okay. And is there any memory as you're growing up that really stands out to you as your favorite?
1: Oh, oh my goodness. It's um, <laughs> a wide range of years. As far as uh, New Jersey goes, I mean, I, I have very fond memories of a camp I used to go to um, in Pennsylvania actually and we I I worked there for like 8 summers in a row um hmm. I was the head of housekeeping for several years and I just cleaned toilets <laughs> and up uh, basically <laughs> glorified toilet cleaner and I really I love um thinking back to that time in my life because it was so formative for my faith it was so formative for my you know really coming out of my shelves was a very shy child and i mm. i really made i kind of made some lifelong friendships there and we did crazy things i mean you know you disobey the rules like everyone <laughs> does and find yourselves on top of roofs and gosh we did lots of things um but it was so but it, we it was really harmless though mostly you know just like kids being kids and and <laughs> You know, being away from home for the summer and like thinking, wow, but you're in a Bible camp, so it's not like that crazy <laughs> at all. But I loved it. I think that's probably some of my favorite things to think back on.
0: <laughs> so you, you had talked about being in the church growing up and singing these four-part harmonies. Is that what really mm-hmm. uh, kind of opened your heart and mind to music, or, or was it something else?
1: Well, I think um, everything I've read about children in, in music says that kids are around music a lot have more of a shot of becoming musicians than, you know, they do if if they're not around music a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, I uh, mean, music being played and sung, it's actually more formative to a, a kid in their talent than the genes or genetics are mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so I think, it, I mean, I do come from a musical family. My mother was very musical and all her family was musical. So it does run in my blood in some way, but I think the reality is I was, you know, I was at church four or five days a week because uh, we were there Wednesday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday night. You know, all the time,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we were always singing. And every time I went to my grandparents' house, we'd stand around the piano and open the hymn book and sing together.
2: Oh, I love that. And so
1: it definitely um, ingrained music in me for sure. And I think it wasn't until I was really 19 years old that I thought, oh, maybe I could make a living at this, but. But it was always part of my life, uh, largely due to my church upbringing, yeah. Well, when did you pick up playing the piano? Uh, I was two years old when I started playing. And that's pretty young. (laughs) um, But I guess, as I said, I was around it so much, and I think it does run in my family. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my mom bought a piano, and she said, the next thing I know, you climbed up on there, and we're just (laughs) playing tunes, you know, that you had heard at church or whatever. And I was already singing by that point quite a bit. And so um, I started very, very young, yeah. Did you take piano lessons? I did. I started them at eight.
0: Okay. And I did it for about eight, nine years. Did you yeah. love it the whole time? Or was there just times where you're like, man, I just wish I didn't have to do this?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I'm ashamed to say I just was lazy and did not practice. And I thought, you know, I did <laughs> do <child>. pretty well <laughs> at piano. Yeah, I did really well at piano. But part of the problem was I was so good at playing by ear. I'm so good at memorizing things that I would often, you know, the piano teacher would play through a piece and I would sort of imitate her and not really work at the theory part. And I, (laughs) so I kind of got really good at, and I can read music and sight read very well, but the, um, I guess I'll just put it this way. Had I pushed myself, I probably could have been a very good pianist, Mm -hmm. but I was too lazy to do that. I just kind of was like, ah, I'm good at this. I don't care. And so I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't push myself very hard. So unfortunately, but, but I mean, I've stuck with it for a long time and I have a lot of that classical influence is in my music. I think you can hear it in, yes, in places absolutely. the way I play. And um, so it's there, but I never really pursued it the way I could have probably.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, the way you play is, is so extremely complimentary to uh, the music that you write and the way that you sing too. Um, you know, you were saying that you grew up in church. When was it that you had uh, like a real serious encounter with God in your own personal life? Hi, I was nineteen when I had what
1: I would call the first I mean I, I had a certainly encountered God before that, but when I was nineteen I sort of had the, the one, you know, the one mm-hmm. where you're sort of like really, um I don't know, I, I would describe it this way. I will meet Jesus over and over throughout my life. But there were certain moments, there certain meetings that I can remember, and 19 was the first, where it was sort of like an electric current had hit me, you know, just mm. really traumatic and kind of like really stopped me in my tracks. And uh, it was I was dealing with a lot of different things, um, interior sin issues and shame and, and just like a lot of things that were really impinging my spiritual nerves. I just didn't have um, maybe the sensitivity and receptivity that I think I'd had as a younger person because of sin and guilt and all this stuff piling up. And and so when I was 19 and I kind of had this encounter with the Lord that really shocked me out of that, um, that was probably the beginning of what I would call any kind of really serious um, relationship. And um, it continues to evolve, you know, but, uh, and I continue to be converted, Mm -hmm. I think, but I, that was definitely a big,
0: a big moment on the road for me. If you don't mind me asking, you know, you, you have brought up a little bit about having a, you know, struggle with doubts and, and questions in your relationship with God. Will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I would I would really put it this way. I used to struggle with doubt, and I no longer do because I do not fight it. Hmm. Um, I I have accepted that doubt is a natural part of finite humanity, you know, existing as a human being with a limited mind and, and with, you know, sort of the inability to actually scientifically prove everything that we believe it's just reality. And I think when I accepted that finally, really just a year ago or so, not even, I, I finally said, Oh, I don't have to struggle with that. Like mm-hmm. I can feel this mm-hmm. and go, what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is I find out that it's not true and I die, and I cease to exist. That's the worst thing that can happen. Is that the worst thing ever? And it was like, I finally said, oh, like, I don't, I don't have to panic every time I have these deep, <laughs> like, these deep, hmm. real doubts about, about all of this, because I think, how could you not, if you're, a thinking, if you're a person who spends any time really meditating on the mysteries of life and on, on the, the mysteries of this faith? How can you not encounter deep questions? It's just yes. going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And shouldn't that just be less stigmatized than it is, you know? Yeah. Shouldn't it be like, okay, let's prepare people for the fact that as you question, as you grow, as you experience trauma, as you experience grief, as you experience loss, you are going to encounter real capital D doubt. And it is all right. You know, mm-hmm. just sit there for a while. Don't panic. Because <laughs> panic does things like you just reject everything you grew up with, or right. you just mindlessly cling to everything you grew up with, because you're panicking. You know, and it's like, if we learn to engage with doubt in a place of calm, I think we can actually move through it relatively unscathed in terms of what it does to our emotions. And maybe even what it does to our faith, you know. And for me, it's just a consistent, I don't know, it's kind of a companion for me on the journey at this point. I I go through different seasons of it being stronger or weaker, but I don't really look at it like the enemy anymore. I sort of go, oh, this is just my humanity living with me. I'm okay with that, you know. So Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, I I just wish that that doubt wasn't seen as like a lack of virtue or a lack of faith or a lack of... um, You know, even people, I don't know, you read saints, like, oh, so many of the people who have given us the richest teachings on contemplative prayer and, you know, the interior castle or the dark night of the soul. Like, they they know very well what it would be like and did um, write about it, St. John's Cross, you know, the long, long periods of just desolation, Mm -hmm. (laughs) doubt, and even, you know, getting to the point where you're tempted to despair. And I think that is the part the despair part is where you see the enemy at work, not the doubting. The doubting is natural and totally fine. And even Jesus doubted God because he was on the cross Mm -hmm. and he said, why have you forsaken me? And he doubted, you know, Mm -hmm. that God was really um, with him and his father. And so I I just think if if it's okay for him, it's okay for me. (laughs) And it's really the despair part where I have to watch for the presence of the enemy. So those are sort of uh, my not-so-short thoughts. But, I, um, yeah, is kind of how I think about it at this point.
0: I love that. That is great. Great perspective. Um, has your music writing morphed along with all of these questions? Do you find that it influences, you know, the songs that you write? I think so. I mean, I,
1: um, you know, when I write for songs for people to sing um, – corporately, I am thinking very pastorally in that kind of situation, so I don't certainly maybe make them super subjective Mm -hmm. or really super personal in theme, because that's not maybe serving of the church's needs, but I do think the music reflects it, the music itself, and I think, like, I've gotten much more comfortable with forms of art, like, in my own personal life, like surrealism, you know, Salvador Dali and people Mm -hmm. of his era... Because I think I now see in what they did a very in, incarnate version of what I feel in my heart and mind mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. And so um, I feel that my music has gotten, yes, darker edges, maybe a little bit more adventurous into the territory emotionally of uncertainty, unsettledness. You know, I think I think that definitely comes through here and there.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your journey from your first album that you released was through Sparrow Records. And uh, since then, you have gone independent and, uh, you know, are producing stuff through your own label, which is called Fortunate Fall. Mm-hmm. Will you talk about that journey a little bit? You know, what was behind that decision?
1: Yeah, well, I I was in the label system for several records worth. So I did two full records and a live record there. I think I was there for about four years total, four and a half years. And um, I quickly realized as I of began to make music in that context, um, in that system, that I was not really cut out to be working in that way, you know, where you have sort of this corporation around you mm-hmm. and, and they have a lot of power and a lot of money. And I will say, I think I benefited a lot from their resources and their investment in me. I think it absolutely did do a lot for my career but at the same time I knew like, creatively it wasn't sustainable because I couldn't work that way with all those kind of fingers in the pot. It was very, very hard and I think when I signed the deal, I really just didn't know myself very well as an artist. I didn't know what a producer I was. I didn't know how much I cared about this very detailed mm-hmm. parts of my business. I didn't know any of that and I, I really wish in retrospect to that if I could do it over, I would have waited another year, you know, just mm-hmm. really kind of gotten more familiar with how I like to make records and how I like to run my business and how, so that I could have known, okay, is this right for me? You know? And I, I just kind of jumped in cause it was the door opened and I was like, Oh, this is, this is it. Right. This is like, <laughs> you made it if you, and I think that I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I think in the sense that I was wrong that that's the only way now because it's not, because mm-hmm. everything is so different. Um, from the way it used to be the gatekeepers are not really keeping much anymore like you can sort of oh there's just so much available to independent artists now that wouldn't have been you know 20 30 years ago yes and so I kind of jumped ship when I realized um I was afraid that as the record labels decline and you know lose business that I was going to be a casualty of that in some way that I couldn't you know recover from and so I tried to just get out while I could um and make music my own way. And it's been the best decision I've ever made. Uh, It's a lot of work for me day to day, but I appreciate and am so grateful that I have so much agency and so much control.
0: That is great. And you actually uh, are working as a co-owner with your husband, is that right? On the label, yeah. So uh, everything to do with marketing the
1: projects and executive producing, so budgets and um, marketing, PR, distribution—all that stuff—we kind of—he—he uh, he really runs all of that. Um, I'm more of the artist slash visionary <laughs> slash producer of the music, and I am, you know, involved in a lot of that stuff. But he really kind of takes the lead and runs with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you guys have
0: a little one, right? We do, yeah. We have a almost two year old wow. little boy. So how does that work with you just putting out this, you know, album, which is amazing, and uh, you know your husband involved with all of this, and and uh, how do you find time to work around the time with your little guy?
1: Oh well,
0: I could give you a different answer
1: every month because it is different <laughs> um, all the time. Because I still travel as well. Uh, about four or five shows a month I'm still doing, wow, and so um you know I work thirty two hours a week and I travel on most of the weekends out of the month, and I am tr- sort of trying to figure out how to transition to less traveling, but it's financially sort of a you can't just cut it off cold turkey when mm-hmm. your business is used to a certain number you know every <laughs> month from you in that department. you have to find a way to replace that income um so it's kind of it's an ever present question for me how do i how do i make you know how do I not make motherhood the priority because it is the priority but how do I work around that and still do the things that I feel I'm also called to do in addition to that and so Mm -hmm. um you know we have an amazing nanny who's like part of our family and we kind of just take shifts and (laughs) figure it out it's it's
0: very very it's a juggling act for sure. I love it because I I know sometimes it's hard to separate you know or or Mm -hmm. not feel um like you need to put your calling to the background and you know totally focus, which yes, there is a time to do that but but uh, it's lovely to see someone who is embracing both because God's given mm-hmm. you both that's beautiful, oh,
1: totally, and I think uh people forget that you know it's like I always joke I'm like I'm trying to have it all, and having it all is hard, <laughs> having it all means that you have too much on your hands, you know, and you kind of uh it's it's either. Yeah, for me, it's either don't do what I feel like I'm called to do in addition to motherhood. I think I am called to both. Um, so I, it's either find a, made a way, make that, find a way to make it work, which will never be easy and will never be simple and it will never be cut and dry, or mm-hmm. it's cut off a leg, you know? It's like, which one is better? Mm-hmm. Um, would I rather be juggling or would I rather be have one leg? <laughs> I'd rather be juggling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not easy. And I, and I think the thing is, it's all about what you're called to do if i was this so if I was in some way insisting you know like i I'm supposed to really stay home with my my son right now, but I should be but i but I want to be over here doing this, i mean that's a whole different thing right. you know it's, it's all about saying like whatever I am supposed sort of called to do, I will receive the grace to do it somehow um and if that's stay home for this season or not, or whatever you know it's all sort of it's all worth it's all worth giving your life to, and it just depends on what you feel um you discern, you know, God is leading you to do. So I I certainly don't think one thing is better than another. It's just about your particular role in the world.
0: Yeah. Um, I would like to share uh, one of your other songs off off of this album. It's the one called uh, Even Unto Death. And in an album that is full of, you know, hymns that have been around for many years, and this is actually one that you wrote words to, even though it sounds it sounds as if it could have been an old, you know, hymn from years ago. It's just beautiful. Um, tell me yeah. about your inspiration for this. It must have been interwoven with a lot of the current world events. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear about that. Well, Even Unto Death is uh, a special song for me. I,
1: I wrote it with, well, Matt Marr helped me finish it. I started it in his studio, though. I was there. Huh. He has a studio in his backyard. In there, and I was working, and I... um you know, my father is a Syrian refugee in the 70s, so I am, of course, very personally tied and emotionally and spiritually into kind of what's happening in Syria, what's happening in the Middle East in general. Cause mm-hmm. All of that is so interrelated and interconnected. Um, so I keep a pretty close eye on things. Um, you know, I read a lot of news there. I follow a lot of, you know, Syrian and Arabic news agencies and people on the ground and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2015, it was a very high-profile video that the Islamic State released of an execution that happened, um, where they 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 beheaded uh, 21 Egyptian Coptic men on a beach. And I watched a good part of the video. I didn't watch the actual beheading, but I watched the beginning and I did watch the end. So afterwards, I, I wanted to see, I wanted to look at it, and in the way. I was like, I don't want to like give in to what they want, which is for me to look at this and be horrified. But Mm -hmm. at at the same time, I thought, but these men are martyrs. Like I want to really grasp that this happened to people today and it's happening around the world. And as I did that, I sort of became gripped with this idea. Of course I was very grieved. Of course I was sickened, all of those things, but I had this deep sense of, wow, I need to not, I need to remember that I'm not separate from these people. Um, from martyrs and some people who are uh, undergoing real persecution. Um, and I need to adopt their prayers, but they, you know, we are one body. I mean, now we say that so glibly, but mm-hmm. shouldn't it hurt me that this is happening? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it inform my faith day to day? Shouldn't I be adopting, you know, their prayers and their, like their, their uh, intentions and things like that? And so, um, even unto death really beca- began as just my attempt to, put words to what I think they were probably praying or trying to pray and what I hope that I would pray if I knew that my life was about to take into my faith. But it's bigger than that message as well. It's sort of just the message about the cross that is Christian life, you know. It is not a life, and I, I believe this very passionately, passionately. If your idea of the Christian life does not include the daily cross hmm. of suffering with the Lord in some way, and uh knowing him and his sufferings and his resurrection it is not full and, and and abundant as it's supposed to be and so when christian life becomes about blessing and favor from god but rejects the idea of crucifixion in a, in your own life it is it is a it is a shadow of what it ought to be mm-hmm. and so even unto death is really about that, you know, about the cross and the resurrection, and uh, whether it's martyrdom or whether it's just the trials and griefs of of a normal life, um, He deserves our love in that way and and our allegiance.
2: Jesus, the very thought of you, it fills my heart.
0: Such a powerful anthem. Uh, well, Audrey, um, in closing here, I would love to hear if you have anything that stands out to you as the most, either the most rewarding or the most difficult in your musical journey so far. So I, I like to talk about, um, you know,
1: Aaron and Moses um, because, as I recall, uh, Moses was called to be a prophet, and he was very worried about. Um, His ability to speak in front of people. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, I am certainly comfortable talking, but I am the world's most, (laughs) I mean, not the world's most socially anxious (laughs) person, but I I have a lot of social anxiety. I have a lot Mm -hmm. of anxieties in general. I have a lot of, um, you know, fixative tendencies and things that really make it difficult for me to live life on the road. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like going out and doing all the things that make you the most uncomfortable, you know, day after day over and over because you feel called to the hour on stage that you have and everything else that surrounds that hour is difficult for me. Um, I don't, so I am basically sort of like always having to get to this place where, you know, right before I actually get out there and do what I'm gifted at doing, which is leading people in worship and contemplation. Um, I have to sort of suffer through. I mean, I I say that because it's really true. It's hard for Mm -hmm. me to be on the road. It's hard for me to leave home. I love being home and I love being around people I know really well and making all the small talk with people I don't know and all this kind of thing is, is a cross for me that comes along with the calling that I have. And I think it's the most difficult and the most rewarding part because Mm -hmm. it is getting outside of myself, laying my life down, you know, and um, that is, for me, the taking up of my cross is a lot to do with just what surrounds the actual music part, you know, what, yes. what everything you have to do that supports the music that makes the music possible. Um, so whether that's administrative work or traveling and meeting new people all the time, I mean, all of that for me is the cross that comes with the calling I have. And some people, have an easy time with that stuff and I am just not one of them and so I think you know as I said I think it's equal parts difficult and rewarding uh I think it bears real fruit you know so I mm-hmm. keep doing
0: it Well thank you for doing that because the music that you produce uh wow it just it blesses me and I know so many so many others um and I also really appreciate, you know, in, in such a world of pop culture, that your music makes us focus on the reverence of Christ and His blood and prayer and who He is. So it's very beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you, Audrey, for uh, taking the time to speak with us today on Sounding the Light.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Sarah.
0: If you liked what you heard today from Audrey Assad, you can download Inheritance on iTunes. You can also find out more about her on her website. And to make it easy for you, I have both of those links right here on the podcast page. If this was your first visit to Sounding the Light, welcome. If you have some time, feel free to check out any of the other guest artists on the site here. There are great interviews, great music. You can also subscribe to Sounding the Light through iTunes by clicking the red subscribe button, and you'll never miss an episode. You can also get connected to stay up to date with the latest from Sounding the Light on Facebook. And of course, if you are in the South Atlanta area, you can catch me every other Friday between 8 and 9 a.m. on The New Morning Show with host Pete Shagnon as we highlight some of these great artist interviews. And sometimes we even get to have guests in to play their music live right there in the studio. It's a lot of fun, so I hope you can join us sometime. As always, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, and I will see you right back here again soon on soundingthelight.com. God bless.